I know it's a heavy topic that we're trying to tackle this week in our evening sessions. Uh, I get that. It's hard to swallow, difficult to digest. But let me give you uh, 10 reasons real quick from just one book of the Bible as to why it's a really good thing for us. I know it's hard for us to think about fearing the Lord. That's a difficult doctrine, but let's think about how good this is. Take a note on this. 10 things real quick that are reasons that this is well worth it. 10 reasons the topic is good for us. Okay, here's half the first point. The more I fear the Lord. Now, our theme verse, at least one of them, one's from Proverbs 1, but this one's from Proverbs 9, verse 10, same idea. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. This is how we started last night. The knowledge of the Holy One, it's insight. So the more I fear the Lord, let's put it this way, the wiser I will be. Now, I established that last night. We just want to remember that if you get this doctrine rightly settled in your mind from this point on for the rest of your Christian life, you'll be a wiser person because of it. Number two, Proverbs chapter 8, verse 13, the fear of the Lord, if we get this down in our hearts, it is the hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance in the way of evil, perverted speech, I hate. You will learn to hate the right things. Let's put it this way. Uh, the more you fear the Lord, the more you'll hate sin. So if I can just learn to fear the Lord, the more I'll look at the world so much more clearly. It won't be a world filled with gray. It'll be a world that is rightly, as God sees it, black and white. We'll understand what is right and what is wrong. We'll learn to love what is righteous and learn to hate what is evil. Number three. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 17, let your hearts not envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. If you fear the Lord, there's one thing you're not going to do. You're not going to envy sinners. If I fear the Lord more, the less I'll envy people in the world, I'll want what they have, particularly if they've had it because they do not pursue what they pursue because of the fear of the Lord. If they don't fear the Lord, I don't care what they have. I don't care how famous they are, how talented they are. You don't want to envy sinners and the fear of the Lord will keep you from a heart of envy, not just sinners, but really it's going to keep you from envy altogether. The more I fear the Lord, the less I will envy sinners. And that's a good thing. I guarantee you, you don't want to accumulate the next two, three decades of your life with your heart corroding and eaten away by envy. This will help you fear the Lord. Number four, Proverbs 14, verse 27, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. What do you mean by that? That one may turn away from the snares of death. A snare is a trap. It's there, and people are enticed to go toward that trap. You think of an animal has a piece of bait in it, and that animal goes and gets trapped. Well, the more I fear the Lord, the more I can resist temptation. The more I see temptation for what it is, it may be uh, glittery, it may be flashy, it may be attractive, but it is not what God wants. And therefore, the more I fear the Lord, the more I can resist it, the more I can see clearly the snares of temptation. Number five, Proverbs 14, two, whoever walks in uprightness fears the Lord. Here's another one. By the fear of the Lord, 16, six, by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. So I can walk in uprightness, not in sin. I will not keep falling into sin if I fear the Lord. I'm going to turn away from evil. Let's just put it simply. The more I fear the Lord, number five, the less I will sin. And I guarantee you, that's what you want. You don't want to get to the end of the Christian life and say, man, I spent a lot of time doing what I should not have done, the things that displease the Lord. Number six, the more I fear the Lord, Proverbs chapter one, verses 28 and 29. I'll give you two verses on this one. Then they will call upon me, I won't answer. They will seek me diligently, but I, I will not be, uh, but I will not, uh, but they will not find me, sorry. 
because they hated knowledge and they did not choose the fear of the Lord. So here they are wanting God to do something, wanting God to provide, wanting God to protect. They'll seek and they'll pray and they'll try and nothing will happen. It's because they didn't choose to fear the Lord. Here's another verse that makes it clear. Proverbs 28, 14, blessed is the one who fears the Lord always, but whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. So the opposite of fearing the Lord, right, is having a life that falls into calamity. And you'll look back on all of that. You'll look at seasons of life where God did not answer your prayers. You'll have that sense of distance from God. You have a lot of regret. So the more I fear the Lord, the less I will regret things in my life, the less regret I'll experience. And that's good. You don't want to look back on your life and say, man, there's a ton of things I regret. We're all going to regret some things, but we want to regret a lot less. And the fear of the Lord will guarantee that we regret a whole lot less. Number seven, Proverbs 15, 16, better is a little with the fear of the Lord. You'll be happy with what you got. You'll be satisfied with what you have. Then having great treasure and all the trouble with it, if you don't fear the Lord, those who don't fear the Lord and have a lot, it brings trouble. Those who fear the Lord and whatever they have, they can learn to enjoy that. Number seven, the more I fear the Lord, the more satisfied I will be. This is a good doctrine for us. Not only avoids a lot of regret, a lot of sin, a lot of temptation, gets clear. Things get really clear about what's right, what's wrong. But it's also going to be something that will bring you satisfaction, the Bible promises. Number eight, Proverbs 25. I'm sorry, Proverbs 29, verse 25. The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. If you fear people, right, that's problematic. Lots of problems with that. More on that tomorrow. But just hearkening back to Luke 12, that passage that Jesus talked about, the fact that don't fear the one who can kill the body. Well, that is a scary thing, someone who can kill me. But he says, listen, there's something bigger than that that you need to deal with, and that is the fear of God. That'll make all the other fears really small. I put it this way, number eight, the more I fear the Lord, the less I'll fear everything else. And that's good. I don't want you to be fearful of the things in this world. I don't want you to be fearful about money. I don't want you to be fearful about your physical uh, health. I don't want you to be fearful about where you're going to live, what you're going to eat, things in your future. I don't want you to worry about those things. And if you fear the Lord, you're going to fear everything else a whole lot less. And that demands a lot of explanation. We're going to go into that in detail tomorrow. Number nine, Proverbs 24, 21, my son, fear the Lord. And do not join with those who do otherwise. In other words, this becomes the determining factor in whether I'm hanging out with those people or not. Do they fear the Lord? Or how about this? Someone thinking about a, a spouse here. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Let's put it this way. The more you fear the Lord, the better I will be at picking my friends. I'll pick my friends a lot better. The people that I will seek to be in my inner circle, or as you get in your life and you, you think about a, a, a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a fiance or a husband or a wife, you'll, you'll start to think clearly about this and it'll be based on the fact that really it'll be boiled down to one basic doctrine. Do they fear the Lord? And if they do, that just starts to sort out all your relationships. We'll elaborate on that tomorrow night as well. Number 10, Proverbs chapter 10, verse 27, the fear of the Lord prolongs life. That's good news. Proverbs 19, 23, the fear of the Lord leads to life, and whoever has it rests satisfied. He will not be visited by harm. That's a big promise, but here's the bottom line. The more I fear the Lord, the more secure I will be at every level of my life. My life will be like a fortress, the Bible says. It'll be hard to take my life down or to get to my emotions or my feelings or whatever it might be that would make my life less than secure. God protects and is a fortress for those who fear him. 
Five things, though this is a hard doctrine to hear me talk all week long about the fear of God, I want to tell you this is a good thing. The reason I want to teach this to you is not only that it's right, but it'll do good things for you for the rest of your life. The fear of God. One thing we've got to tackle, though, is we think about the fear of God, and if we're going to get it, it's going to be evidenced in one clear part of your life, an, an avenue of your life, a section of your life, a way that you interact with people that I call here the uh, respect that you owe others. Some foundational truths. Let's switch gears real hard here now. Let's think about what we said last night. God is sovereign. What does that mean? God is in charge of all things. Every molecule, every person, everything God is in charge of. And he, I put it this way, letter A, decided when and where you were born. Let's just start with that truth. He decided when you were born, you had nothing to do with that, and where you were born. He was the one who decided all of that. Acts chapter 17, verses 25 and 26 He, God, himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man, Adam, every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. So God decides when people are going to be born and where they're going to be born. And God says he's been doing that from the beginning, from Adam. So we understand that God is in charge. That little baby sitting in the nursery or the one that was just born to Joseph and Abby Lopez had no idea what was happening, right? That's good news. They're calling him Finn. Not like a shark Finn, but from the man Phineas in the Bible who was zealous for God's honor. So when you see Joseph, that's why Joseph is not here. Um, Not that he's having the baby, but it's a good thing when you're married to be by your wife when she's having a baby. So they're still in the hospital. But anyway, Finn has no idea why he was put where he was. But we know this, God gave that child to them. He creates life and he puts people on the timeline where he wants. And he also puts people in charge of you. When you were born, you didn't decide. Where you were born, you did not decide. And who he put over you as authority, you did not decide. God decided that. God is in charge of putting the org chart together. And he's the one who does all of this. Think this through now. 1 Samuel 2, verses 6 through 8, we looked at some similar concepts last night. The Lord kills and brings to life. The Lord makes poor and he makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. One of the things the Bible says is an honor is being a parent. And, uh, I could be very specific about many people in our church that try to have a baby and they want a baby and then they have a baby and that baby is provided for them as God gives them this gift, as it says in Scripture, Psalm 128, as a reward, as a gift, and that gift is given to them and they now are in charge of that baby. They have to pay for the baby, they have to care for the baby, they have to look out for the baby, they have to save money for the baby, they have to direct the baby, disciple the baby. That baby there is now under their care and the Bible seats them in that place. Uh, Whether it's life and death, poor or rich, whatever it is, to take them from, let's just say, infertility to having a child, God is the one who puts people wherever they're going to be on the org chart. He puts people up. He takes people down. He humbles people. He exalts people. He puts people in high positions. He puts people in low positions. So God decided when and where you were going to be born. Uh, He put people in charge of you, and I mean that from your parents 
to the president. God decides the org chart and puts everybody in the place that he wants them to be on the timeline that you live in right now. You could mark a series of, of layers and steps in your life, and every one of those layers, according to God's truth, is sovereignly determined by him. So he puts people in charge of you. And I mean that because when I speak of the president, we don't have a good one right now. So we would say, uh, even if they're good or they're bad, uh, whether they're good or they're bad, God is putting them there in place. I got a million examples in the Bible about this, whether it's Pharaoh in Egypt that wouldn't let the Israelites go, whether it was Cyrus, the Persian king that was keeping Israel under domination in the exile in the Old Testament, whether it was Herod under which Jesus was born in the first century, or Pontius Pilate, whoever it was, God puts good and bad people in positions of leadership. He decides to put whoever he wants in those positions. He's got purposes and reasons for it. As Romans 13, 1 and 2 says, very important to remember, Paul is living in a time writing to the Romans, and the Romans weren't particularly nice about the Christians, and nor did he let them do whatever they wanted. There was a lot of friction between the Christian church in the first century and the Roman government. But he says to the Roman Christians, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority. Nobody's in a position of power except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever re resists the authorities, if you say, you're not my boss, you're not in charge of me, you're not, you're, not, you're not an authority in my life, right? You resist God, what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. We fear God, and because we fear God, we've got to remember this. I was born when I was. He put people in charge of me that are in charge of me, and those people, whether I like them or don't, whether I think they're reasonable or they're not, whether they seem to be good leaders or bad leaders, those people are in places of authority. And when I say, I don't want that authority, and I don't need that authority, and I despise that authority, and I, I badmouth that authority, the Bible says we're going to incur judgment. We can't resist the authorities that God has put in place. I mentioned Pontius Pilate, the, the prefect of, of Rome over Judea. He came from, uh, from Rome in Italy to the place where Jesus was living and doing his ministry. And as you might remember, Jesus was tried by the Sanhedrin, which is the Supreme Court of the Jewish state. And then he was taken to the Roman leader who had authority and jurisdiction over whether or not he would be killed or not. Because that's what the Jews said, that sh that's what should happen. We want him to be crucified. We want him to be killed. We want him to be executed. So he comes before Pontius Pilate. And if you know anything about the story of Christ, you know that Pontius Pilate turned him over to be crucified. Good thing or bad thing? That's a bad thing. Jesus had done nothing wrong. And yet he was condemned to die. And in the discussion that the Bible records where Pontius Pilate speaks to Jesus, he asks him some questions. He didn't get the answers that he wanted. He says this to Jesus in John 19, verses 10 and 11. Pilate said, will you not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? That's a power sentence right there, and it makes perfect sense that some itinerant Jewish teacher, some rabbi standing before a Roman official with all of his centurions around him, of course he's going to say something like that. I got authority to let you go. I have authority to have you killed, and you're not even going to give me the answers I want? Speak up. Give me more than what you, he was saying. He said some things, but he wasn't giving them the kind of answers that Pilate wanted. Here was Jesus' response in verse 11. Jesus answered, you would have no authority over me at all, right? Unless it had been given to you from above. God gave you this position of authority. 
and you're going to make a really bad decision about my life when it comes to saying that an innocent person should be crucified like some terrible criminal. And yet he makes a clear statement. You wouldn't be there unless God put you there. Biden would not be our president unless God put him there, right? Uh, Governor Newsom in California would not be our governor if God did not put him there. The people that are over you at any layer, including your parents, would not be there if that authority over you had not been given to them by God. That's what the Bible teaches. That's what Jesus teaches. So whether they're good ones or bad ones, the foundational truth about what we need to talk about tonight comes down to this. You didn't decide when and where you would be born. You didn't decide who would be in charge of you. And you need to know whether they're good or bad. God has appointed them. And therefore, the Bible would say, and I'm going to show you some passages that will put this together for you. The fear of God always requires respect of authority. Respect of authority. Let me give you three passages that give you words that we need to understand as it relates to our relationship with those around us. The people that we should have respect for, which is a big word. Now, fear is the ultimate word, and sometimes it's used in a lesser way, and we'll see that in a passage I just quoted in one of the 10 reasons it's important for us to get this doctrine. And yet I left out a little phrase, just a little phrase, and I put a little ellipsis, those three little dots to show you that was a part that I didn't quote. Let me quote it now, because it's so important to see the gap here. When we think about respect or the lack of respect for people in authority, Here's what the Bible has to say as it connects it with the fear of God. Proverbs chapter 24, verse 21. Here's a young gal. This person, assuming in the picture, is her mother. She doesn't want to listen to her mother. She puts her hands up. She waves it off. Proverbs 24, 21 says, My son, fear the Lord and the king. Now, the king is the ultimate layer of authority over you if you lived in the Old Testament times. And certainly it starts with your mom and your dad and your mom sitting on the couch, right? If you do not fear the Lord and the authorities, including the ultimate authority, the king, right? Well, don't join with those who do otherwise. You better be friends with people that not only fear God, but they have the proper kind of fear for people in authority. And if they don't, they shouldn't be in your inner circle. You can be friendly to a lot of people, but you shouldn't be friends with people that don't have a proper fear of God and that will be evidenced by the way they treat people in the org chart above them. You know what I mean by the org chart? Right? Who, who's my authority? Who's over me? Well, there's one word. Fear is used to describe how I think about the Lord and how I think about authority, the king. Let's get another passage up here. We quoted it last night. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17. Fear God and honor the emperor. The emperor had all of centurions around him, could enforce the rules. And here's a passage that says you ought to fear God. The very next sentence here says, in the same verse, you ought to honor the emperor, the one in charge, right? The enforcers of, of the empire. So I got fear and I got honor. Look at this one now. Jesus tells a parable. In a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God, and here's what goes with fearing God, respect, and respected man. He didn't fear God. He didn't respect men. If you do fear God, guess what? You respect people, right? Because they're made in his image. We'll talk about it. People in all sorts of positions of life. So we got three passages I just quoted, Proverbs 24, 1 Peter 2, and Luke 18. When it speaks of my relationship with other people, right? It uses the word fear, honor, and respect, Okay. Fear is a word on the extreme side, which ultimately is about how I view God. 
I'm willing to recognize his authority so much so that I can't just have a really calm, emotional relationship with God. I have a great deal of respect for God, and that's called the fear of God, and it's so dreadful, and it's so big, it would make me tremble to think, wow, I'm speaking to God, and when God speaks, I tremble at his word. Now, when a leader that God puts over me I need to realize that would be the ultimate word I would use, that you're right, there should be some fear of authority, human authority. But like the passage we we quoted last night, the whole holy council, this divine council around God, all these angels, right? certainly there's no comparison. The ultimate fear is God because God has all authority. But if you were to hang out for a little bit with Gabriel or Michael or any of the seraphim or the cherubim and the archangels, I assure you, you wouldn't be comfortable around them because of their extreme power, nor should you. You should have a great deal of respect for them and honor. So let's use these last two words to represent something that is going to overlap into that category of fear, although it's not the kind of fear that God alone has. I fear God ultimately, but I should have a fear, honor, and respect for people in my life that are over me. And let's start with this now. Let's talk through a few of these layers. Number one, the first people that were ever put in charge of you and could tell you what to do were your your parents. And you're all in a position still, even if you were 50 years old, if your parents are still alive, you still have a requirement in the Bible to honor and respect your parents. We'll keep the word fear for God, even though it overlaps with that. Let's just use these words in combination, very concentrated. I need to honor and respect my parents. And it doesn't matter. You may feel like you have this kind of relationship with your parents. I don't have reasonable parents. They're not good parents. They're they're nagging me, whatever they are. Or maybe you have good days when you think, oh, they're great. I love my mom. Everything's copacetic and good. No matter what kind of parent you have, good or bad, God has appointed the parent to you. And the Bible says this, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 3, children, obey your parents in the Lord. Of course, if they said, go, say, hail Satan, and say, Jesus isn't Lord, you would say, no, Mom, I can't do that. But when they ask you to clean your room or take out the trash, that's different, right? You understand that. You better respect and honor your parents because the Bible says that's what you're supposed to do all the way back to the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20. And he quotes that, Paul does, to the Ephesians, honor your father and mother. And then he gives this little parenthetical section here. This is the first commandment with a promise. The Ten Commandments, you've got this list of commandments, and in the middle of all these commandments, sandwiched right in the middle of the two tablets of the law, you have this command to honor your mother and father, and it comes with a promise in the Old Testament, and the promise, as he elaborates here, is that it may go well with you, and you may live long in the land. They were about to go from Egypt into Canaan, and he says, hey, you better make sure you honor your parents. If you honor your parents, the parents that were given charge over you when you were a baby, right? I'll make sure that you live long. Now think back to those 10 reasons it's good for us to fear the Lord. It will prolong our lives. Remember that? And number 10, that's, that's a great thing. I want a life that is secure. I want a life that's protected. I want a life that's satisfied. That'd be great. I'd like to get this doctrine settled in my mind. You can't get the doctrine about fearing God settled in your mind if you don't honor and respect the very first people God put in charge of your life. And I mean for the rest of your life, and until you're old, until you put them in, 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 in the ground, right? It, it, until you have their funeral, you should respect and honor them to the very end. That's your responsibility, the Bible says, because God is saying, I find it so important that you respect and honor your parents that I'm going to take it personally if you do. I will reward you if you do. But there's a two-sided coin in the Bible as it relates to that. 
It's not just you being rewarded by God. Look at passages like this. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 17. The eye that mocks a father and scorns to obey a mother. If your mother says, take the trash out, if you scorn her request, her command, her direction for you to take the trash out, here's what the Bible says about you. That eye will be picked out by the ravens of the valley and eaten by vultures. That's the threat. Now, this is a poetic statement. It doesn't mean that everybody who does this and shines their parents on when the parents say, make your bed, and you say, no, I don't want to do it, or do your homework and you don't do it, or you lie about it to your parents. If you scorn the command of your father and mother, the Bible says God now takes it personally. He's not there in the business of rewarding you. He's now in the business of, of bringing punishment into your life. This is a serious thing. Find passages like this about other things in the Bible. It's a short list. The first command with a promise to bless you is obeying your parents. The first command, if you want to look at the other side of this, that God makes clear that he takes it personally, if you don't, is when you don't respect the first authority God has given you in your life, your parents. That's a rough verse right there, isn't it? An eye that mocks a father. That means even the way you look at your parents with disdain and you scorn to obey your mother, you think, I'm not interested in that will be picked out by the ravens of the valley and eaten by vultures. That's a threatening passage. We need to recognize that at the top of the list is every person, I, I preach to myself and I preach to you. We're in different positions, I assume, if you're still eating out of the cupboard and the refrigerator of your parents. I'm not, right? I, I, I get to stock my own food pantry. Uh, but I still am called to honor my mother and father, and I do. And I do. Go ask them. I, I honor my mother and my father. And you're called to not only honor, but if you're in their home, certainly to obey what they say. It's not even up for debate. It's not up for discussion. Even the I that is going to mock a father. The Bible says, I, I'm going to take that personally. This passage that's been one of our theme pass verses, like I said, uh, Proverbs 9. Here's Proverbs chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. You know this. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. What you don't know is verse 8, which I haven't quoted yet, but in connection with that, that we're supposed to fear the Lord because then we'll be wise and have knowledge and instruction, and we'd be a fool to despise it. The very next verse says, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. It ties it immediately to, if you're going to fear the Lord and be wise, the very first thing you do is you listen to your parents. That's what the Bible teaches. These things go together. Fearing God and honoring and respecting authority, and the first authority that God is concerned with is your parents. Now, I could spend all night talking about that. Let me just ask you a couple of honest questions. Just between me and you right here, just for you to ponder and think about. I just wonder if you really do honor and respect your parents. I just want you to think, do you honor them? Do you respect them? Do you in your mind say, okay, God has put me on a timeline in this particular place, in this particular home, with these particular parents, whether I think they're good parents or whether I think my friends got better parents, these are the parents God has given me. And you may have parents that are divorced or one of your parents not even alive or maybe you're an orphan. You got someone in charge of you that is playing that role of a parent. I'm just asking you this. Do you really respect them? That's the question. I just want us to think this through. These are just personal questions now. How do you listen to them? Does your eye mock them? Do you, do you in some way, in the facial expressions that you make to your mom or your dad, do you, do you in some way resist their leadership? Do you respect them by even how you, you're, you're listening to them when they speak to you? How do you respond to them? 
Do you respond immediately? Do you do what they say? Are you, are you immediate to say, here are the most important people in my world as a person who's still living in a home that has authority figures in it, or at least one authority figure in it, are you someone that is treating that person with respect by how you respond to what they say? Even if it's not a command or a direction, do you take interest in what they say? Do you appreciate them? Do you show that appreciation? Do you give them some kind of feedback that's positive when they do something that's good and that's right? Are there things about your parents you'd say, well, this is good, and I don't think all the other kids have better parents than me. Here's some things I really like about my parents. Here's some things I think my parents do well. Do you even speak to them about that? Is there anything you do to show that kind of appreciation for the things that you think are good about your mother and your father? How about acts of kindness toward them? If you respect them and you honor them, you know what people do to people that they honor? They try to help them. They try to serve them. They try to give things to them. What do you give? Right? It's not about financial gifts. It's not about buying things at the store for them necessarily. It's about you giving them things, whether you can afford something big or whether it's just your attitude, your, your, your sense of gratitude, you're writing a note or whatever it might be. What do you do to show that you respect your parents? There's just four simple sub-questions to do you respect your parents. Now, let me just drive this home with some because sentences here. Because God chose them for you. I should respect my parents because these are the parents God chose for me. And, and we just got to start with that. Right? That's where we began. This is a God-sovereign choice for my life. Do, do I really respect my parents because they are stand-ins for God's authority over you? If they say make your bed, that is God saying make your bed. If they say take out the trash, that's God saying take out the trash. And if you say that you won't and you don't want to and not right now, I'm not interested, you're saying that to God. They're stand-ins for God's authority in your life. That's what the Bible teaches. You're supposed to obey your parents. You're supposed to honor them. Are you doing it because of our theme this week? Because you fear God and he said to do it. And whatever God says to do, if you fear God, you do what he says. Just that's layer number one, your parents. That's the first level of leadership in your life. And God expects us to respond to that if we fear God by showing the fear, honor, and respect for the authorities. And the first authority that we all have to deal with when we get bounced into this world is our mom and or dad. Well, obviously, this applies to all other layers of life, every other layer of life. Now, the passage we've quoted a number of times so far in our series, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 17 and 18, right in the middle, said, Fear God and honor the emperor. There's the connection between fearing God and the honor of leadership. Look at what goes around this now. Here's the phrase in front of it. Honor everyone, another phrase, and love the brotherhood. Fear God and honor the emperor. And then it goes on to say in verse 18, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only those who are good and gentle, but also the unjust. You could say, honor everyone, whether they're good and gentle or whether they're unjust. Love the brotherhood, whether they're good and gentle, whether they're unjust. Fear God, because of course he is good and just. Honor the emperor, whether he's good and gentle or unjust, and be subject to your masters. There's just the picture of the connection between you fear God, all these other people surround that. The evidence of your fear of God, I can tell you whether you fear God or not. All I got to do is talk to the people around you. All I got to do is talk to your parents for a while, and I'll find out whether you fear the Lord. And I know there's people in this room that do not fear God. I know that personally because I've talked to your parents about you, some of you. And I'm just telling you, this is the measure of whether or not you get this doctrine down is how you're treating the people around you. So let's take some of these cues here from the passage. Look at the first one, honor everyone. Well, let's start with everyone. 
Let's start with the everyone that's around you all the time, every day, or at least this week, all the people you're sitting next to, the people in this room, your peers. Let's think through your peers. You're called in the Bible to honor and respect your peers. You do it because you fear God. I fear God, therefore, these people made in the image of God, I need to honor and respect. A couple texts on this. How about Romans chapter 12, verse 10? I'm supposed to love one another with brotherly affection. Okay, that's good. Outdo one another in showing honor. Now think that through. Outdo one another by showing honor. Now we're peers, right? We're brothers. It's not me and some authority figure, but we're peers. But here's, here's how the fear of God starts to affect my relationships with my peers. I'm going to try to uh, do what I can to honor you. And here's the thing. You're going to do what you can to honor me. And as my peers, it's just like we're trying to outdo each other with honoring each other. Now, it's not a game. It's not something funny, right? But once you get past the kind of the, the, the laughter you might have, if you find yourself in a situation where you and your friend are outdoing each other by honoring each other, by whatever it might be, by giving them preference or wanting to do whatever they want to do first. I'm just telling you, you will make this a pattern of life and you'll realize the reason I want to honor people around me and respect people around me is because God is a God who's called the people around me, just like my parents, providentially into my life. He set me here. These are the people that surround my life. I could live anywhere. I could have any classmates, any friends, any people could go to the same church with me. But these are the people that God has put there. They're made in his image. I'm called to honor them. And out of respect and fear of God, I'm going to honor and respect those around me. Real practical passage, Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. In humility, right, this is what it's going to take. If I'm going to outdo you in showing the honor that you're showing me, I want to outdo you in that. Well, it's going to take humility. In humility, count others as more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. That's the key. And most people do very poorly at this, at really taking an interest in the, in, in the concerns of other people. I want to be concerned about your interests. I'm talking about peer relationships now. And I've got to humbly think you're more important than me. See, and that's what it is in relationships. Your parents are more important than you in the structure of the family because you're the child, they're the parent. Well, in my peer relationships, out of fear of God, I'd like to see that start to be a pattern of my life. I'd like to honor you above myself. I'd like to put your interests above my own. I'd like to see you be treated as more significant than me. That takes humility, but that's what God calls us to do. Number one, honor and respect your parents. Number two, honor and respect your peers. Spend a lot of time thinking through how to do that, but here are two verses to get you started. How about number three? Honor and respect your leaders. Now, this is a broad word, and it can include a lot of people. And the backdrop on this slide, of course, is a very faint picture of an org chart, and I want you to think there are people that are taking some kind of leadership role in your life. Identify a few immediately in your life. Think of a few people that you'd say are my leaders. Matter of fact, some people in this room, you call your leader. Oh, this guy's my leader. She's my leader. Well, if you call them a leader, right, then they're a leader. And if they're a leader in your life, the Bible says you're supposed to honor and respect them. Certainly in the context of the church, let's think about Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them. If you're calling them a leader, then they should be leading. And if they say, be here at this time, and no, you can't go here now, and you got to go over here this way, and you got to do this thing at this time, well, then you better obey them. You ought to submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls. And when I think about the leaders in the context of the church, and since I'm speaking at camp this week, let's think about the people here that are telling you to come to this particular event or do this particular skit or do this particular game. 
You're supposed to obey them and submit to them because I fear the Lord and I understand their role. They're here not to serve themselves. They're here to watch over your souls as those who will give an account. You say, well, I don't think they're a very good leader. Don't worry. Bad leaders are going to be dealt with by God. And, and, and if they're not leading the way you would lead because you'd be so much better at leading than they are, just hang, hang tight. God will deal with them. And I assure you, at some point, he's going to put you in a leadership position, and you'll find out it's not as easy as you thought it was when you were being led around and didn't like your leaders. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. And sadly, after camp is over or whatever the situation is, whether it's leaders, whether it's a teacher at school or a coach in your, in your athletic team, a lot of them go, I don't want to do this anymore. It's hard. And the people that they're trying to lead don't let them do their job with joy. Instead, they do it with groaning. It would be no advantage to you if you, in the situation that you're called in, in the org chart, under someone who's a leader in your life, if you make their job hard by making their job difficult and not a joy, the Bible says God's going to take that personally. Be of no advantage to you. That's a veiled threat. You know what a veiled threat is? I'm saying it's not an outright threat like the ravens are going to pluck your eyes out, but it's like it wouldn't be good for you, so you don't want to do that. Let your leaders be happy that you're in their group. Let your leaders in whatever area of life, be glad that you're there because you are responsive and submissive and obedient to what they're asking you to do. They're disciples and counselors. In a one-on-one -on -one situation, more often, they come into your life and they have something to say. There's people you're taking through partners, people counseling you, people trying to direct you. They're not your parents. But let's drill down a little bit further here in people in your life. Maybe somebody taking you through some kind of discipleship program. It says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord. They admonish you, and you are to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Anybody that takes time out to help you along, to do something better in, in the eyes of God, to grow up spiritually. I mean, the Bible says we've got to esteem them not just a little bit above you, esteem them very highly. And you ought to love them because of their work and their investment in you. Honor and respect your disciples and your counselors and your pastors. That's a smaller group of people that care for the spiritual things in your life. The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17, the elders or the pastors or the overseers, they're all synonymous words in the Bible. The elders, the pastors who rule well, they're in charge of things. They make good decisions. They, they, they take the serious nature of their job to heart and they do it with diligence. Let them be considered worthy of double honor. You're going to honor people? Just doubly honor them, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. And you're taught all the time in the churches you come from and, and the places that you're in. People come and they teach you the Bible. The Bible says when that's a part of their leadership in your life, and that's what pastors do, a lot of what they do. Not only do they organize things and administrate and rule well, they're supposed to be working hard in preaching and teaching. The Bible says you give them double honor. Honor and respect, doubly so your, your pastors. Number six, you ought to honor and respect your bosses and managers. How many people are working a part-time job, some kind of job you're working? Anybody? Come on, raise your hands real quick. You're working a job of some kind, getting paid for it, okay? Even if it's babysitting, right? People are paying you to do something. If you are doing something and getting some kind of monetary response, then you have a boss, you have a manager, and if they say, put the baby down to, to sleep at this particular time and don't feed them that and don't let them watch this, you, you are now being directed to do something, whether it's flipping hamburgers or working in facilities or whatever your job is. you got someone telling you what to do. Colossians chapter 3, verse 22 calls people that are told what to do bond servants. 
And you should obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. Okay? This is the most extreme kind of leader and, and, and worker. But all of us have some paradigm, some kind, of, some kind of situation that looks like that. And if you don't have a job yet, you're going to get one soon. Everyone gets one. And when you do, someone's going to tell you when to be there, when you can leave, what you should do when you're there, how you should clean up, what you should work at, what your schedule should be. All of that is directed to you by someone who's a leader and put in a position in your workplace. And you should do it. Not as just, well, I'm going to do it when they walk in the room as eye service. And some of you work really hard when the manager's there. That's not how this is supposed to work. When, when mom and dad come home, right, from their, their outing, and now all of a sudden, I mean, it's all about you cleaning everything up. The point is, you should do it whether you're, they're watching or not. Not as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart. Oh, here's our phrase, fearing the Lord. I'm a good employee because I fear the Lord. You've got to be a good employee because you fear the Lord. You should be working for your managers and bosses because you fear God and you know that God has put you in this job, giving you this manager, this leader, this supervisor, this boss, this board of directors, whatever it is, that you honor and respect them. Number seven, law enforcement. The Bible says in Romans 13, verses 3 and 4, if you have no fear of those in authority, you don't want to get pulled over, you don't want to get handcuffed, you don't want to go to court, you want to go to jail, well, then do what's good and you'll receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good, but if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. Right? The people that carry around weapons of enforcement, right? those people, the Bible says, are servants of God, avengers who carry out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. You do the wrong thing, you're going to get the wrath and the comeback of authorities, civil authorities in our society they're going to push back at you. The Bible says that we're supposed to be the kinds of people, this is the context that we quoted earlier in verses 1 and 2 of those leaders knowing they're put in place, whether you think they're good or bad, whether they've got a good track record or a bad one. The default position is that I honor and respect them. Critically important. Breakdown of society, always tied to this. We stop respecting law enforcement. Well, what about the political leaders? You put a big circle through... Uh, and, and a slash through their face last night, so you don't respect them. Here's the thing. I have to respect the political leaders. Just like with parents, if they said, you've got to go say, hail Satan, and, and Jesus is not Lord, you wouldn't obey them. Sometimes the government officials, sometimes even police officers and law enforcement will tell you something. Even a boss might tell you to do something that you cannot do because the Bible says you cannot do that thing they're telling you to do. But in most cases, right, the default is we have to have an honor and respect for our political leaders. I'll quote it for the eighth time now. Honor the emperor. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17. The emperor, when Peter wrote this, was a man named Nero, all the way over there in the Senate, sitting in the primary seat, ensconced as the leader of Rome, and he was a pedophile, he was a homosexual, he was a criminal, he was on the take in everything that he did. He was a bad leader. He was even blaming all the things that were wrong in Rome on the Christians. And yet Peter writes, listen, he's in a position of leadership. God has put him there. You ought to give him honor. That may be a mind-boggling concept for you, but in the same passage that we just quoted in Romans 13, in verse number 7, note what the Bible says, pay all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, and of course, all of this, based on all the passages I have given you so far, should be clear that they do that because of their role, their position, honor to whom honor is owed. We, we owe honor to the emperor because he's the emperor. 
Doesn't mean we like everything he does. Doesn't mean we think we have the best emperor that Rome has ever had. Doesn't mean you think you have the best parents, the best boss, the best pastor, the best leaders, but they're all deserving of honor and respect because of the role that God has put them in. Just like Pilate, even though Christ can say for our instruction, you wouldn't have that position of authority if God hadn't put you there. But the reality is that even Jesus was submissive to the decision of Pilate by walking off to be beaten by Roman soldiers and to be killed. Of course, it was all for our theological good, our ultimate good. But all of this wasn't for him bringing down angels to fight Pilate. You've got to honor and respect even your political leaders. You've got to pray for them. You've got to hold them up in your minds without thinking, well, just because I don't agree with them, we have no honor or respect for them. Here's one you might not think about. Number nine. You need to honor and respect older people just because they're old. And I mean that, just because they're old. If we fear the Lord, we will respect people that have been on this planet longer than us. Leviticus 19.32, you shall stand up before the gray head, right? Someone comes in who's old enough to have gray hair, you get out of your seat and you stand up. Now, I, I know that's not the pattern of your life, I'm assuming. In the olden days, it was. Students, when they were seated in their seat and the teacher walked in, they all stood up on their, on their feet. I go to a lot of meetings, and I, sometimes I'm on the receiving end of sitting in a conference room. Someone walks in, and if they're someone that is important, maybe they're the person that's a ranking person on the board or whatever, I stand up. And a lot of times I'm coming in as the pastor or the leader or board chairman, and others, certainly younger people, ought to stand up. That's, that's part of the respect that older people are due. The Bible says you ought to stand up before the gray head. You ought to honor the face of an old man. You ought not just, you know, not even look him in the eye. You ought to look him in the eye and give him a respectful look. Why? Because you've got to fear your God. I am the Lord. I'm giving you this directive, and I'm telling you that they are here on the planet longer than you, and because I've given them life longer than you, you ought to respect them. That's an old line, and you're not going to hear it at many camps across the country this summer, but you've got to respect your elders. And by that, I don't mean your pastoral leaders at your church. I mean people that are older than you. The people in this room that have lived life twice as long as you, they're important. I know our culture loves to worship the, 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 the youth, right? Everyone's wanting to be young. Everyone's paying all this money to look young. Listen, youth is not where it's at. God values older people more than he values younger people. I could quote you all kinds of passages to make this clear, even down to how you redeem life based on what age they were. And here's a passage that says, when an old person comes in the room, you ought to show them respect. That's just how this works. Older lady walks in, you ought to show her respect. Yeah. And, and, and so I got to ask you some questions, just like I did for your parents. Do you respect all these people, these layers of people, political leaders, bosses and managers at work, teachers, leaders, disciples, counselors, pastors? Do you really respect them by how you listen to them, by how you respond to them? by appreciating all that they do that's right, by acts of kindness toward them. This is the same list if you haven't caught on. All the things you did for your parents, all the things that made you think of that I hope you thought about. Wow, do I really do that? It's the same way for all these layers. We've got nine layers here, eight beyond your parents. And we need to think, do I do that? Why? Be because God chose these people for you. Right? If you're in this church, he's chose these leaders, he's chose these pastors. If you're in this state in California, chose this governor in the United States, chose this president, God has done all that. Sometimes it's for judgment. I get that. But God has chosen them, and they're due that honor and revenue and tax revenue and respect because they're standings for God's authority over you, and they are. 
There are some things I can't obey, but it's the short list. We've got to obey what they say. Why? Because I fear God, and he said to do it. We've got to think about the respect that we owe, and all of it is tied to the God that we say, I hope we're learning to fear. We learn to fear God. We learn to respect all these tiers and layers of leadership in our lives. It's a lot to chew on for tomorrow's small groups, but I hope you'll give it some thought because when it comes down to our Christianity, there's no better way to test whether or not you're in right standing with God and respect and fear God than your respect and honor of the people around you. Let me pray for you. God, help us as we try to think clearly about how we ought to treat people, even our peers, to try and outdo one another in showing honor, that I'm honoring other people above myself, that I honor anyone who has a position of leadership in my life and I respect them. And as I work through all of these passages in my mind, I think about what an important thing it is that Christians learn this and learn it young, learn it early, especially for those that are living in their homes and probably can think about how they haven't honored or appreciated or respected their parents the way that they should. God, I pray that might change. Even if we think we got the raw end of the deal by not having the greatest parents in the county, I pray that we would realize these are the parents chosen for us. This is the situation God's chosen for me. And I'm going to respond the way that God expects me to if I fear him. God, I just ask that you'd give us more of this as an intentional purpose in our lives, that we know that when we're honoring others, we're honoring you and we're showing respect for authority and leaders, that we're really expressing our fear for you as the great king above all kings. So God, thanks for this reminder from your word tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.